Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. I need to finish the series on the Gospels because there's too much still that I didn't cover. We've been talking about this series called Woven, and what we've been doing is looking at the Gospel of John and why did John cover things that weren't in the other Gospels. As I mentioned, John's Gospel was written quite a bit later And so what John is doing, we know that the people were familiar with the other gospels because John will mention thing in his gospel that you would only know if you had read the other gospels, like who Peter was, right? Some things that you would read and he just talks about them as if everyone already knew who he was. And that's because they did by having the other gospels. So why did he write this one so much later? And why is it so different than what we call the synoptic gospels. And it's been fascinating to me. I hope it has been to you as well. We're gonna be in starting off in Luke chapter 15. And we're gonna look at John's perception of authority and power through the person of Pilate. Power through Pilate, okay? Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I think it's Mark. Mark. Yeah, I'm sorry. Did I tell you Luke? No, it's Mark chapter 15. At least I hope it's Mark. That's what I got in my pay. All right. Tell me when you're ready, Rick. Sorry, man. I threw him a big curve. Now watch it be Luke. (laughs) Okay. And as soon as it was morning, yes, that's the right one. The chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, 
Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now turn to John chapter 18. We'll start verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of the world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? John spends so much more in chapters 18 and 19 in this dialogue with Pilate than the other Gospels. Why? What is he trying to communicate that he felt needed to be communicated that wasn't in the other Gospels? And I find it interesting that even though Jesus is the center of this story, it's Pilate that moves the plot forward. And though he's moving the plot forward, he is far from being the one in control. And I think John is trying to convey something very important to the people that he is writing to. Have you ever felt like things were just not beyond your control, but out of control? Right? Like, it's like, what's going on here? Yesterday morning, my daughter called us at 7.30. She gets off work at 7.30, and she was driving home, and she called us at 7.30, which isn't uncommon. She'll oftentimes call us, and just because she's wide awake, why shouldn't we be, right? And, and so she called, and Corrine answered the phone, and she said, hi, Mom. She said, hi, are you heading home? She goes, yeah, well, I was in an accident. Go, what? And she goes, yeah, I broke my wrist. And Corrine all of a sudden is like, okay, where are you? What's going on? And so we jumped in the car and we head over there and her car, her brand new car they've had for about a month was totaled. Someone had run a red light. Fortunately, they did not hit her, but she hit them as they were running through the red light. It was a full-size pickup truck that had a trailer. The trailer spun around, hit the side of her car, sent her into another car. She broke her wrist. We get there and there's this mayhem. There's parts all over the you know, street and there's an ambulance and like she's nowhere to be found because she's in the ambulance and she's smiling. Hi, you know, and I'm like, okay. It's one of those things where it's just chaos. And fortunately, she is okay. Fortunately, she's gonna have the cast off before her wedding. These are all the things we're calculating in the hospital. Like when, how long does she get the cast off, Right but it's something that was beyond our control. The second and third generation of Christians 
those who are following Jesus because of what the disciples said and what the disciples' disciples said have put faith in Jesus, but Rome is so dominant. This is what the book of Revelation is really about. It is addressing the churches who feel like, you know, what's the point? Rome is in charge. Where is this Jesus? And it's an understanding of how do we see who is in control when it looks like this is in control, right? You ever feel like you are just not in control of your life? Like, yes, every day. Right, whether it's a phone call, whether it's you know a boss, whether it's a sickness, I am so not in control, even though I try so hard to be. How do we continue and live in this way? Pilate is driving the plot, but he's also at the mercy of it. His back is to the wall here, and the only hero in this story is Jesus. As we start to see the governor of the providence of Judea, Syria, the one who Rome has appointed is not the one who's in charge. Now, way back in the beginning of John's narrative of Jesus and his ministry, when John the Baptist first saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John's Source for the image of the lamb was the sacrificial worship for Israel. And he puts Jesus in this category, a symbol that was embedded in Israel's memory. They understood what this meant. The lamb provided atonement for Israel's sin. Atonement means to cover. God is telling Israel, I've got you covered when it comes to your sin. Again, early in ministry, Nicodemus came to him and Jesus told him, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Later, he told the people who came to him in the temple, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority. Even later in chapter 12, he said, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Lifted up means that Jesus would die on a cross. That's what it means. It not, doesn't mean like, oh, we'll see you and we'll worship you. It was talking about how he would die when I am lifted up. And so this theme comes to fulfillment in these two chapters of John, John chapter 18 and 19. And what John is letting us know is that this is not an accident, but this is something that has been talked about from the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And so he's contrasting the sacrificial lamb of Israel to the Roman governor of Judea and Syria. Pilate is not remembered well in history, not just from the gospel accounts, but how he governed. When he moved into the region to take his place as the governor, he came in showing force. He moved in and he had the soldiers all bearing their arms, carrying their symbols. And the Jews saw this as idolatry, bringing idols into their place of worship. 
And there was immediately resistance against that. But what Pilate was trying to do is make a point. I am going to force you into submission. And he tried to do that over and over again. There were many skirmishes, many people killed. There were some brutal things happened under his jurisdiction, so much so that the people were in constant rebellion that he was removed from place and sent back to Rome because he was stirring up more problem than he was bringing about this peace. And that's how he's recorded and remembered. He did not fare well. And so here is this symbol of power. The people would think of Pilate and they would think, we know Pilate. He's the one who killed all these people when they were worshiping and he wanted to stop this. They're the ones who, when they started rebelling against him, having the symbols of Rome, there, bringing them near the temple that they tried to stop him and he killed them. These are the things that Pilate did. They knew the power that was behind Pilate And then here is the Lamb of God. And so we're seeing this contrast, just like we saw in the book of Revelation, where there was the war against the beast and the dragon with the Lamb who had been slain. There is a contrast that's taking place, how the kingdom of God shows up. It doesn't show up the way the kingdom of men show up. This account begins with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. In verse 4, it says, Jesus, knowing that what would happen to him, came forward and said to them, who do you seek? Those who were there to arrest him. He knew this was happening. He stepped into it. Jesus didn't stumble into the cross. He saw it coming. He knew it was the final accomplishment of his ministry. He knew this is what he was called to do. All of this was moving towards God's intended goal for him. That might be why in chapter 19, John mentions more times the fulfillment of scripture than any other chapter in this book. And all of those quotes are piled up at the foot of the cross. When the soldiers cast lots for his tunic in chapter 19, verse 24. When Jesus said, I thirst, chapter 19, 28. When the soldiers did not break his legs, chapter 19, 36. When the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, 1937. All these are fulfillments all recorded in this chapter. It's John's way of saying, God is in control here, even though it does not look like control. And I hope that brings some sense of comfort to you. That when life does not look like it's in control, there is a God who is still in control and still working beyond our abilities to understand. The difficulties do not equate to God's absence. Sometimes it's actually God being in the midst of that. Now, all three of the synoptic gospels tell us that Jesus prayed that God would not spare this or that God would spare him from partaking of this cup. John doesn't mention that desperation in prayer. Why? Because John wants us to see another angle. John doesn't show Jesus saying, Lord, if there's any way, take this cup from me. Instead, he does tell us that Jesus spoke of his cup When he was arrested, put your sword away, Peter. Shall I not drink of the cup that my father has given me? We talked about that last week. God had not removed the cup and Jesus was resolved 
to drink from it. He was committed to that. So he wants the readers to understand that Jesus is not a victim here, that Jesus is fulfilling what God has for him. Only John tells us that it was Peter who cut off the ear of the high priest. Only Luke tells us that Jesus healed the servant's ear. There's a great quote by G. Campbell Morgan. It says, I sometimes think of our Lord as still often healing wounds that zeal without knowledge people make on others' souls. I love that. So many people have been wounded by overzealous Christians doing things in the name of Jesus. I'm not just talking about the Crusades or the Inquisition. Christians have done things throughout the ages. You read some of the accounts that happened with Columbus's men, with the native Indians, and they're horrific. You've heard of Manifest Destiny? Right? We have a right to this because God is with us. Do you have a right to rape young girls because God is with you? Manifest destiny. Yet there's accounts of this in the name of Jesus. And, and let's not just go to these extremes. Right, it, It's other things that still happen today where we need to vilify others to make ourselves feel better. I don't know if you know this, but I've got news Not all Republicans are evil. And not all Democrats are stupid. It just isn't that way. But to vilify each other helps us feel better about this ourselves. And we do that in Jesus' name as well. Not everyone who drinks is an alcoholic. Not everyone who smokes marijuana is a drug addict. Like Peter, there are Christians today still cutting off people's ears still trying to do things to label people and doing things and hurting them. Now, this is the contrast, and this is, I believe, the part of why John is so focused on this dialogue between Pilate and Jesus. What does the kingdom of God look like in comparison to the Roman Empire? Or we could say the world. From the garden, Jesus was dragged before two priests, first Ananias and then the former high priest, his son-in-law, Caiaphas. And ultimately then Jesus stands before Pilate. What did Jesus look like to Pilate? He wasn't dressed like a rabbi. You would know who Pilate is because he's wearing the Roman royal garb, right? You would know who they are just by the way they look. If you travel out of the country, people often know who you are just by the way you dress. Of course, the way you talk, all these things play into that. Who does Jesus look like? He looks like a common person. At this point, too, he's already been beaten. He's probably a little swollen just because of all the things that had happened. He probably looks like a troublemaker. And Pilate's constantly dealing with troublemakers. That's who he thinks all these people are. These people are causing me trouble. But whatever Jesus' appearance was, standing there with his hands tied, something about his presence left an impression with Pilate. And I think John wants us to know that Jesus got to Pilate. 
he got to him. And he's helping us to understand that if he gets to him, even in his submissive condition, if he can affect the governor, it's not too much to expect us to have an effect on the world around us. It was obvious that the man before him was innocent. He says that much three times. He says, I've seen nothing wrong with him. Why are you bringing him to me? And the dialogue is very interesting how it just progresses, right? Pilate's first question to the priest is, what is the accusation? He gets down to business. Like, what has he done? Why are you bringing him? Let's get this over with quickly. I've got wine to drink, grapes to eat, you know, whatever it is. I've got things to do. Why have you brought him to me? Why am I dealing with this problem? And they dodged him, giving him, they didn't give him a direct answer. Right? They just said, if you know he hadn't done anything, why would we deliver it to you? They couldn't tell him that he had committed blasphemy in their mind because that would go nowhere with Rome. We can't say blasphemy. They don't care about that. So they just say, well, we wouldn't brought him to you if it wasn't anything important. And Pilate throws the case back on them. Deal with him yourself then. But then they give a reason for bringing him to Jesus. They said, we can't put him to death. It's against your law that we take that law into our hands. That's why we're bringing him to you because we want him to be put to death. And so then soon Pilate is in chambers alone with Jesus. And he asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Because that's one of the accusations. He says he's the king because there is no king but Caesar. So this is what we're going to say. So are you a king? Are you trying to cause some kind of political upheaval? Are you trying to overthrow Rome? Are you trying to do what so many have tried to do? Do I need to put a squash to this? And Jesus says, is this your question? Is it what you think or as the opinion of others? Oh my gosh. Have you ever been pulled over? (laughs) And the policeman asks you, may I see your driver's license? And you say, may I see yours? Right? I mean, Jesus is talking to the governor and he says, ask him this question. He doesn't answer it. He says, are you saying this of your own court or have others told you about this? How are you getting this information? And he responds, am I a Jew? Do you think I came up with this? You think it's my idea? Your own people handed you over to me. What have you done? Tell me why you're here. This is your opportunity to explain your story. He wanted to determine if the crime had been committed or not. Tell me what's going on here. And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. John doesn't mention kingdom a lot in his gospel, not as much as especially Matthew or the other synoptics. But he does something profound here, the truth that he reveals. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. And his servants do not fight to defend it. That should sink in. That should really take root, right? His kingdom is not of this world. Jesus' subjects don't fight. (laughs) Oh, yes, they do. Oh, my gosh, do we fight. 
right? I'm sure I could find a Christian and ask them, hey, is there a church in your city? And they would say, well, there's really only one that's right on. And it's, of course, the one they go to, right? It always is. There's only one that teaches the word. There's only one that's spirit-filled. There's only one that has blah, 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 and they'll fill in the blanks. And, oh, yeah, these people, they do this. Christians fight with agnostics. They fight with atheists. They fight with each other. The Protestants fight with the Catholics. The Catholics fight. Yeah, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. But it's not supposed to, right? We're not supposed to be that way. There's a story Peter Rollins tells of a man who was stranded on a desert island and they finally come after years. They find, they thought he was dead. Oh my gosh, tell me what you've been doing here on this island for all these years. And he goes, come here, I'll show you. Here's the house I built where I live. And they go, wow, this is amazing. You know, it's got steps and it's got running water and the guy's done incredible thing. And they go, well, what about this building over here? He goes, well, let me show you this other building over here. This building here, because I'm a very religious man, this is the church that I built because I go here to worship. And so I I have built a place so I can actually worship God. And they go, that's amazing, incredible. What about this building over here? Oh, it's not important, it's not important. No, come on, tell us about this building. He goes, well, that's the church I used to go to. (laughs) We fight, but Jesus says, my servants don't fight to prove this. That's not how things are done with my servants. So if the kingdom is not of this world, it's not trying to conquer, then obviously Jesus did not pose a threat to Rome to fall under Rome's jurisdiction. Pilate felt like he has something now. So you are a king? Jesus responds, you say that I am. Those are your words, not mine. You see, that's never how Jesus defied himself. In fact, when they tried to bring him to make him king, he withdrew. He never tried to put himself in a place of authority. That's what you're saying of me. I didn't say that of myself. Pilate needed an accusation that could stick. He wanted a confession, but Jesus did not hand it to him. He didn't make Pilate's job easier. He actually made it more difficult. He made him responsible for what he was going to do. He didn't give him a reason to do what they had asked for him to do, to crucify him. And he went on to reveal who he was and what he was about. He says, for this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And then we have a very important addition. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus handed Pilate the key to understanding him. He tells him, if you want to know the truth about me, guilt or innocence, listen to me. Hear what I'm saying. Jesus has taken this conversation now to a deeper level. Who's driving this conversation? Who's in charge, the Roman governor or this man who's been arrested? Pilate either missed the cue or else he didn't take 
the bait. He just says, what is truth? And I can't tell you how to interpret that, right? Maybe he was sincere. Maybe he wanted to know the truth. What is truth? Or maybe he was just a hardened Roman soldier and he was just being a little bit, that's nonsense. Truth is what power dictates, which is what I think was happening. But I mean, truth, how am I supposed to render a verdict on truth? How do I condemn or release truth? If philosophers can't agree on what truth is, what's the point? What am I going to do? Why bring philosophy and religion into this? Do you think your accusers care? So Pilate turned on his heels and left without waiting for an answer. And he goes back and he tells them, hey, I don't have anything to do with him. Flog him. And if you guys have seen The Passion of Christ, you know that flogging is horrific. Many people die just from that, where they whip him so badly that some people can't stand, some people don't remain conscious, some people die. And why he does this, Maybe it's to elicit a confession. That's what happened to Paul in Acts chapter 22. They scourged him to try and get him to confess to something. And he says, hey, you can't do that to a Roman. Or maybe it was to appease them. Look it, I've scourged him. Just be done with it now, right? Maybe it was to kind of get him out of his hair. And he presents him to them, battered, broken, now wearing a crown of thorns, a, a mock robe. And he says, behold the man. Look, here he is. Nothing but a man, not a king, just a man. And you see, this is the beauty of think what John is doing is John is saying, yes, he is the man. He is a man representing the way all men are supposed to be. He is the way that we are to follow. He is the truth that we are to live in. This man is what this world needs. And that's precisely John's point. He, First Peter chapter two, verse 23, it says, when he, Jesus, was reviled, He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. I want so hard to live by that scripture, to not revile when someone says something about me, to not respond in turn, but to entrust myself to the one who judges justly. Right? I shouldn't have to worry about what they say. I only care what God says. When the priest and officer cried out, crucify him, Pilate told him, do it yourselves. I find no guilt in him. And then there's a new twist. They say, we have a law and according to the law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. That new piece of information is presented to Pilate. And John explains that when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid, which is interesting because until now, we didn't know he was afraid at all. And now this is amazing. Here is the governor of the province, Providence afraid of this man who's been beaten, who's ready to be crucified. 
is even more afraid. In Matthew chapter 27, it tells us that Pilate's wife said, have nothing to do with this righteous man for I've suffered much because of him today in a dream. All right, there's heavy mojo going on here. Something's going down. He's seeing Jesus and he's like, man, I don't wanna have anything to do with this guy. This is an innocent man. And now they're saying he's a son of God. Something is going on and I just want to get away from it. I wanna wash my hands from it, which he tries to do. Now Pilate asks a different question. Before it was, what have you done? But now he wants to know, where are you from? In these few words, in this little interaction that Jesus has with Pilate, Pilate is moving from what do I have to do? What have you done to where are you from? Who are you? That's the important question. And Jesus goes silent. Again, what an example. What an example to the people who were living at that time. You want to know how to have an effect? Act like Jesus. You don't have to start a riot. You don't have to make a big uproar. You just need to act like Jesus. Sometimes your silence will speak volumes. You know, Gandhi, when he made a resistance against British rule in India. He did what was called non-violent non-cooperation, right? If you ask me to lay down, I won't. If you force me to lay down, I won't resist. And many believe it was through this method that he actually delivered India from the British rule, something we see in Martin Luther King Jr. as well. I wonder if it's not something that they got from Jesus. This gets to Pilate, and he warns Jesus, do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? He's posturing now. Hey, I'm in charge. I can kill you or let you go. And it's interesting because from then on, Pilate tries to release him, but he can't. Chapter 19, verse 11, Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Jesus calls him on it. You don't have the power here. You are not in control. And through this whole scene, Jesus is the rock. He's the one who's not moving, even though he's beaten, even though he's handed over. He was not the one getting angry. He was not the one losing his temper. He was not confused. He wasn't desperate. And the crown and robe were appropriate, even if they were meant to be a mockery, because Jesus is the only one who's majestic in this whole picture. The one who's been delivered unjustly, the one who is at the mercy is the one who is majestic and the one who is actually in charge. You see, this is what faith looks like. This is what trust in God looks like. It's not when everything's going well and circumstances are cool. It's like, yeah, I believe in God. I trust God. It's when 
things aren't going well, that God is still present, that God is still faithful, that God is still at work. Why? Because I listen and I hear his voice. I'm following him. Those early Christians may have had doubts. The Roman Empire, Christianity works for slaves, but how is it going to affect the power of Rome? And here is Jesus. And now the governor of this providence is afraid and is not in control. And John is telling them, see you guys, you've got to look at it differently. And sometimes that's what we need to do. We need to just take our perspective and change it and see where is God really at and at work? Because it's going to be in a way that looks a lot like Jesus. And when we are wanting to force the kingdom of God on people, when we are wanting to force this kind of justice, it's not looking like Jesus. Pilate was not moved to faith in Jesus. But the Lord did get to him. The Lord could reach the heart of Rome itself. See, John handles the trial differently than the other Gospels. Andreas Kossenberger explains the difference in this way. He says, John transforms the entire notion of a trial and presents Jesus' ministry in its entirety as a trial. Yet not one where Jesus is on trial, but where those who rejected him are put on trial and found guilty by a series of witnesses to Jesus' messianic identity. John acts as a court reporter, telling us what's happened. And in the courtroom of his gospel, everyone stands where Pilate stands and has to hear his voice and respond to it. Jesus said, the one who rejects me does not receive my words, has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. If you resist the truth, you follow a lie. The most tragic outcome of that trial is not that Pilate could not save Jesus, but that Jesus could not save Pilate. That the only thing Pilate was in control of was himself. The only thing you and I are in control of is ourself and our actions. And that's what we're responsible for. But as he rescued and recovered us, and now he is with us and stands with us through our trials, through our difficulties, he who was dragged into the depths of this suffering knows our hardships, knows our pain, knows our sorrow. And because he is with us now, we do not have to allow the hardship of life or that of other people and the evil that they do to make us turn cynical, to make us become embittered. The truth has found us and the truth has set us free. It is following the way of Jesus that finds our lives living in truth. 
And I believe that John's purpose in this dialogue is to help us see how we are to conduct ourselves in life with difficulty, with pressure, with oppression. How we respond is so important. It doesn't mean we get walked all over. Again, look at the examples of Martin Luther King Jr. Look at the example of Gandhi. They changed a nation by not responding in the same way that power does. What could be done if we were moved like this? Where even governing officials were afraid because something is different. There is more than meets the eye. There is a kingdom that is breaking into our world and it shows up like this. May we bring that to bear. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this is such an interesting dialogue. These questions that Jesus asks to Pilate, I know he, you are asking to us. And God, I pray that we would take this model of Christ and not see it as weakness or not see it as just exclusive because it was Jesus. He had to act that way. But to see this as an example that we are to live in, that we are to follow in. Lord, there is a boldness here. There is a resolve committed to your will in the midst of a world that is denying it. Lord, it doesn't show up in violent protest. It doesn't show up in argument. Lord, it shows up beaten, bruised, sacrificed. It shows up as a lamb. Lord, may we learn from this example. And as hard as it is at times, God, to live in this way, may we see your light. May we hear your voice and may we follow it. And I pray for everyone here who is going through difficulties, Lord, the the pressure of life, whether it be with family, with work, with health, is weighing on them, God. May they hear your voice with them through these times, through the difficulties. Lord, may they not give up hope. May they resolve to follow after you, to entrust themselves to the one who judges justly. May you give us wisdom how to speak to those who might bring accusation against us, those who might speak harm to us, those who might try to do harm to us. Give us wisdom, Lord, of how to represent you in a way that is not forceful, but is not compliant either. May our resolve be with your heart always. And may it change not only the world around us, but may it change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. May the God of all peace guard your heart and mind in Christ. And may you walk in his ways. May he fill your life with his joy. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. 
You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.